Hello, and welcome to Talk This Way. I'm your host, Marsha Martin, and today we've got an extraordinary conversation in store for you. This episode is titled Transformational Leadership. We all have dreams, aspirations, goals, but how many of us truly step into our own power to lead, to influence, and to shape our future? Today, we're delving deeply into the ideas that everyone, yes, you heard it right, everyone can be a leader. Leadership is not bound by your title, department, or whether you're on a board or not. Leadership, as we'll explore, is your ability to create action, to set the world into motion in a way that resonates with your intentions. And let me tell you, If you don't like the way the world is showing up for you right now, it's time for some introspection. It's time to ask yourself, am I creating the world the way I want it? Or am I just allowing it to be the way it is? Because leadership is about taking the reins and driving the change we want to see. In this episode, we'll look at the language you use, how it contributes to shaping your future, and why standing in the future of what's possible can shift your entire perspective. We'll also discuss three powerful ways you can show up as a leader through completion, standing in the future, and my personal favorite, gratitude. So are you ready to shift your perspective, redefine your future, and step into your leadership potential? Let's get started. Hello, this is another Wealth Creator Source interview, a series of interviews to help you thrive in this troubled economy. And every single month, I interview somebody extremely special. They may be special in one of two ways. One way is you've never heard of them before, but they have incredible wisdom, and it is only through the Wealth Creator that you'd find out about them. The other kind of person is extremely famous and well-known, has done enormous things in their life, and you'll be excited to hear from them. The person I'm talking about is in the category of quite famous. She has had a stellar career for a long time doing just amazing work in the field of transformational leadership. She has outrageous credentials, which I'm going to be telling you about. In fact, maybe I'll let her tell you about them. Her name is Marsha Martin. I have interviewed her before, but she has such wisdom and is expert in so many different topics. We're going to be speaking on a different topic today, and that's transformational leadership. Marsha, are you here? I am, Raymond. I'm so excited to be here. And I think you're absolutely amazing and famous and wonderful also. (laughs) Now, I traditionally do these interviews by telephone, but this time, Marsha Martin and I are members of the Transformational Leadership Council, an organization, a nonprofit organization founded by Jack Canfield about seven years ago. And Marsha Martin and I were two of the founding members He chose 30 of the most transformational leaders in the world that he knew of that he wanted to play with, and we were two of those original 30. And so this interview is being conducted live, in person, right in front of each other. And so we're going to have a lot of fun. We're probably going to laugh and enjoy ourselves, and I wish that you would join with me. Now, the topic of this is transformational leadership. You might be wondering, what's transformational got to do with me? What's leadership got to do with me? And Marsha's going to start our interview by telling you why you are going to learn from this and why you need this and how it's going to help you. Well, I think all human beings, at least most of the ones I've trained, and I've trained over 150,000 people around the globe, 
really look to their future and want certain things. And they determine what they can have or what they think is possible based on what they've had in the past. And this is relevant because your future is something you can design and create, not based on your past, but based on your commitment. And so this lecture will allow you to see how you can design the future that you desire. I love it. And we're going to start right off by making sure that my listeners know about your stellar credentials. So if you could just give us a quick resume of your credentials. I've been a transformational leadership speaker in the area of transformational leadership since I was in my early 20s, which is a long time ago. So trust me, I have a lot of credentials. I travel the globe. I work with senior executives in Fortune 500 companies, teaching them how to create championship teams, how to be of service in the world, how to develop personal people that can take over their jobs so that they can move on and contribute to the world at a higher level. In my early years, I was one of the founding members of an organization called EST, which became Landmark. Then I created many kinds of corporate trainings. My clients have included Capital One, BBD&O, AT&T, Intercontinental Hotels, McCain Foods, Danone Group, many major global companies across the planet. I was fortunate to co-create the Transformational Leadership Council with Jack and for the first five years was its CEO and vice president, and I was a member of the board. And so I've really given my whole life to transformation and transformational leadership. Now what I want to do is I want you to tell us what is leadership? Everyone thinks they're a leader, or maybe they think they're not a leader. I want them to know whether or not they're a leader by understanding your definition. This is interesting, Raymond, because I don't think everybody does think that they are a leader. People look to leadership and they think, well, I'm not the leader, somebody else is, and they determine leadership by a title or a particular department. Say, I'm in this department, so that makes me a leader. I'm on the board, so that makes me a leader. I have the title of chairman or president, so I'm the leader. And what I teach people is that leadership comes from your ability to create and to create action and to teach people how to create action, and to make an impact or intervene in a situation and cause a circumstance rather than be at the effect of your circumstance. And anyone, if they understand the structure of language, if they understand the power of intention, if they understand the nature of commitment, can actually lead. So I think leadership is a competency. It's not based on a title. And everyone is a leader. And it's really sad when human beings think of themselves as not a leader because then they wait for leadership. And there's so many things in the world from our environment to how children are raised to what's possible with politics to just being good human beings and citizens of whatever country that you're in that leadership could contribute to. So my intention is to wake people up to their capacity to lead. All right. Well, let's take those woeful souls that you mentioned a moment ago who are leaders, since you said everyone is, but who think that they're not. If someone is a leader, because that's your contention, but they think they're not, then what is your advice to them and what steps can they take to actually move more fully into their leadership role? Okay. Well, let's start with, first of all, how the world occurs for you. And the first step in my opinion, to a great leader 
is to discover and be aware of how the world shows up for you and then to determine if that's the world in which you want to collaborate. And then to find out what point of view, perspective, or what quality of thinking that you really need in order for the world to occur in a way that is productive. So let me talk about what I mean by how the world occurs for you. Most people look out into the universe and they consider it's all out there and whatever they see is what's out there. And how I look at it is what's out there is what shows up for you. Everything is out there. It's like that picture that you can look at from one way and you see an ugly witch and you look at it another way and you see a beautiful woman. And what you see depends on your point of view. Well, first of all, you know when you look at the picture, both pictures exist at the same time. So it's all there. It all exists. The real question is what shows up for you? Is it the old ugly witch or is it the beautiful woman? And that depends on which way you're looking from, what your point of view is. And that's kind of how I view the world. It's all out there. Everything is there at the same time things that are working, things that aren't working, things that are obstacles, things that are freedoms, abundance and scarcity, right and wrong, good and bad, it all exists. But what shows up for you? Well, just like in the picture, you can never see both pictures at the same time. You can only see one or the other in any one instant, even though they're both there. The world occurs for you depending on your perspective and your assumptions, how you view the world. So if you want the world to show up a different way than it's occurring right now, if what you're seeing right now is things aren't working, if what you're seeing is things are tough, if what you're seeing is it's all bad, then there's some assumption that you have in life that allows that point of view. And then as a result of that point of view, for the world to occur that way for you. You need to change your assumptions. You need to change the quality of your thinking. You need to change your mindset. You need to change your beliefs in terms of how you view or consider what life is and how life works. And if you take on a different assumption, you're looking from a different point of view, it's going to occur differently. And there are certain assumptions that I say or that I kind of follow that allow the world to show up for me in a way that I feel is productive. And I will say this. It's not that I feel I have the truth. I don't really know what the truth is, but I have an interpretation of whatever it is, my own meaning and my own assumptions that I've tested out. And I've tested out lots of ways of looking at things, and I've found that some ways work better than others to produce the things that I want in my life. So I consider that particular interpretation a valued way to look at life since it produces a result. I don't consider it right or wrong. I don't consider it the truth or false. I consider it a way of looking at something, and lots of ways are valid. Like most people look at themselves as a history. If you ask somebody to introduce themselves to somebody else, and you just say, introduce yourself, that person will start talking, and they will say, oh, who I am is, I was born here in this year, I went to school there, then I did this, then I met someone, then I went to school again, then I got a job, then I became this title, then I did this, then I did that. And essentially what they're describing is their past history. So, you know, it's easy to see that their assumption is who they are is a history. Well, that's a valid interpretation of who one is. But there are many valid interpretations. You can look at yourself as a biology 
if I say, well, introduce yourself as a biology, be a biology instead of being a history, then essentially you would introduce yourself like, I'm a woman. That would be me, of course. Or I'm this amount of tallness. I'm five foot six. I weigh a certain amount. I have a certain color of eyes. So that would be introducing myself as a biology. You could introduce yourself as a psychology or philosophy. You know, if I introduce myself as a philosophy, I would say I see life as the glass is half full and people are to be trusted. And I consider whatever happens to me to be purposeful and in my better interest. That's how I look at life. That's my philosophy. That could be who I'm being. Well, I find if you're going to have a really successful life and be a leader and lead people, for you to consider who you are, a commitment. Who you need to be is the commitment that you're being, not your history. Because if you're being a commitment, you know, take a look at what are you committed to? What is your commitment in life? And you can see what your commitment is by just seeing what are you doing? Because all action is sourced from commitment. The source of all action is commitment. So if I look to see, well, what am I doing right now, which is a forerunner of what I'm going to be creating or manifesting, which is a huge part of leadership, is to be able to create results in life, then I look backwards and say, well, what am I committed to that allows me to do this action? Because action comes from commitment. So it might be that I find out I'm committed to being comfortable, or I'm committed to being right, or I'm committed to doing it the easy way. Or I'm committed to manipulating somebody. Or I'm committed to having my own way. Or I'm committed to controlling. And those are the hidden commitments that we don't really notice because they're unconscious that run our lives. But if we were committed to producing a future that was valuable and contributive, not to only ourselves, but to the world, then we would find a bigger commitment, something bigger than who we are that would inspire us to action, that would be unprecedented results as a result of that action. And that's how leaders show up, people that have commitments and then determine their circumstances as a result of their commitments. In other words, their circumstances are created from their commitment instead of their circumstances determining their commitment. Their commitments determine their circumstances. So that's one of the things I would say is a way of saying to people who are questioning whether they're leaders is to look into yourself and say, what am I committed to in life? Wow, that's very powerful. I never realized that commitment is a way to express who I am. It's very interesting. I could be my history. I could be my biology. I could be my philosophy. And I'm sure there's lots of others as well. But I could also be my commitment. So if somebody says to me, hi, Raymond, who are you? I could say what I stand for, what I believe in, as opposed to I'm a man, which would be biology, or I'm a Republican, which would be maybe my philosophy. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Okay, but so what? So how do my listeners use it? So here I am, my listener's driving in his car or her car, and she says, okay, I want to be a leader, but am I a leader? And what I got from you is that A, everyone is a leader, but B, you're only a leader if you live from your commitments. But maybe not everybody lives in their commitments, so maybe not everybody's a leader. I'm a little confused on that because I want to believe you that everybody's a leader, but in my experience, I don't see that everybody's a leader. So how can you reconcile that? 
Well, it's not a question of whether or not people live from their commitments. All people live from their commitments. It's a question of what are you committed to? So if you look at what you're doing, which is your actions in life, then you find out what you're committed to because the source of action is commitment. The source of all action is commitment. And so are you committed to being right? Some people in their marriages are more committed to being right than they are in having a relationship that works. Or with their children, they're more committed to being right than they are to having the relationship work. And that's what I'm saying is people aren't led by people who take them down a path that's unhealthy. People are led by people who inspire them. And so you have to ask yourself, well, what am I committed to? The other thing about commitment is the domain in which commitment exists. So we have the domain of being, we have the domain of doing, which is action, and we have the domain of having, which is the results that we produce in our life. So in the domain of being is where commitment lives. It's the invisible world. It's the world where you imagine. It's the world where you visualize. It's the world where you have senses. It's the world where you have feelings. And that's where things are created from. All things have to exist in the world of being before they can ever exist in the world of action or the world of results. Anything you want to produce has to first exist in the world of being. And where commitment lives is in the world of being. So the real question is, who are you being in this moment? And for leaders, the real question is, who do you need to be in order to produce the thing that you're producing? See, how futures exist is as a possibility. That's what a future is. It's a possibility. A future isn't out in the front of you, down the street and around the corner by the 7-Eleven. It's not in stone out there although people speak as if it's in front of you somewhere and it's really already created. A future exists only as a possibility. A possibility exists now. So futures exist now. It's the only time zone we're ever in, by the way, so it's a good thing that it exists now. In fact, if you can be in a different time zone, please write and tell me how you did it. So a future is a possibility. That's how futures exist. A possibility exists now. That's when a future exists, now, where a future exists is in language. In other words, a future doesn't create, a possibility doesn't come into existence until you speak it or you think it, which is language. So you actually declare futures into existence by declaring possibilities. You speak the future into existence as a possibility. And then what people do is they operate into that possibility. And usually, people don't even realize they're declaring their own future. They say things like, oh, I'll never get to that place. Oh, I'll never make that work. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's not possible. Well, those are all declarations, which is commitment, which is being, which is the distinction in language where you create a possibility. You bring possibility into existence through declaration, which is to say you're designing your future right now as you speak, and then you're living into what you've created through language. So leaders begin to listen not only to what their assumptions are and begin to inquire into what my assumptions are, not only to what am I committed to, but to what am I speaking into existence. 
And what usually happens is people's futures exist as a repetition of the past because they are being their history. And so essentially, if you're being your history, you're going to speak from that place about what's possible. You consider what's possible, not because you say it's possible, but because it's been possible in the past. And so you recreate your future from your past. And that's why people keep having reruns of their life. They get a new wife because they think, you know, they need to get rid of the old wife. And then they look at the new wife and they say, oh my God, it's the same old wife I had last time. Or a job. They leave a job because of something that wasn't working. They go to a new job and then they notice it's the same old job they had before. They're just recreating it in a different form. Well, it's possible, and here's the competency of leaders, to actually design and create and speak into existence the future that you desire. And the powerful future that you can speak into existence is the one that comes from a commitment that's bigger than who you are. Okay, I'm still perplexed, and I'm not going to let this go. I'm a dog with a bone when I'm doing these interviews. I know that Sir Richard Branson is a leader because I'm reading his book right now, Business Strip Bear, and he says, right on one of the very first pages, so powerful, he says that he has created $8 billion businesses in eight different industries and is the only person in the entire world who's ever done that. He is clearly a leader. I am clearly a leader because people look to me for guidance and I create out of my own ideas. I just recently created a program to help people write a book. And so I I just create that and people really, really want it. So I know I do that. But Marcia, when I look out at the world, I see people who are employees, and I'm not saying anything negative about employees at all, but I see people who are employees who actually view themselves as followers. And indeed, I see people who are in their own business, let's say realtors, who don't think of themselves as leaders in any way. They just do exactly what they're told. They're told by their broker to go knock on a thousand doors and hope to get three listings. And so they just do what they're told. So I see both entrepreneurs and employees who perceive themselves as followers. And I see people, even employees or entrepreneurs, who perceive themselves as leaders. But you say everyone's a leader and I don't see it. Well, you don't see it in action. And I agree with you. And that's what I said in the beginning, is most people don't hold themselves as leaders. They're waiting to be led. And what I said is who people really can be is a leader, that everybody has the capacity to be a leader. It's not something that's given to you because you got a particular job or a title or because you have particular experience. You have the capacity, because all human beings have the capacity to be whoever they need to and want to be. It's a choice who you're being. Okay. Well, then is it valid for somebody to choose to be a follower? And I know follower has a negative connotation, so maybe you know a better word than that. I'm not trying to put it down. I just know that in an army, there are some people who are generals and some people who are foot soldiers. And in an entrepreneurship, in a corporation, there's the president and then there's the linemen and they have to do what they're told. So answer that. Oh, I just realized the distinction you're using as leadership is it's one in front. So, and the one leading, the actual leading, that's not my definition of a leader. A leader is a person who can impact and produce a result and can inspire others to do the same. So a great leader is also a great follower. 
because many times it's appropriate to follow to have the result that needs to be produced. So I'm not saying the leader's always in front. Many times I see the value of listening rather than speaking. And I see the value that I'm leading a person towards a greater place in their life just by listening. Many times I can see the value as a leader to empower someone to be in front and to line up behind them and to be an example of alignment, of empowerment, of responsibility, of accountability, of taking care of my peace and allowing someone to delegate and say, here's your peace and my agreeing to being accountable for that piece. So I don't mean that a leader is the guy on top or the guy in front or the girl telling you what to do all the time. I mean that you have the capacity to intervene and make a difference. Okay. So you say everyone can be a leader. I got it. But there are some people, not only can they be, but they are being a leader. And there are some people, though they have the capacity, as you say, to be a leader, who aren't being a leader. Either they don't know it or their self-esteem is too low or whatever. So I want to give my listeners who may not be perceiving that they are leadership material or they could lead, I want you to list the benefits because there has got to be some struggle or effort to go from where they are now to leadership. In order to go through that effort, there must be some benefit at the other end of the line. What is the benefit that you see? Well, first of all, I don't agree that one has to go through a struggle to go from wherever they are now to being a leader. So I just want to clarify that. The benefit for me is that you grow. Leadership is about expansion, and it's about growth. It's about development. It's about being bigger than you are in this moment, being bigger than that in the next moment. It's about seeing a possibility that you didn't see before. It's about inspiring others to see possibilities that they didn't see before. So that to me is the benefit. I don't think that needs to be a struggle, though. I think that a person can have an insight or a realization or a wake-up kind of moment to realize that they've been pretending to be less than they are, and that who they're being really is a function of the assumptions that they have about who they are and the assumptions that they have about how the world exists, how the world works. Most of our assumptions come from when we're very small, when somebody very big has told us the way that it is. And when we're small, when we're four or five, and our dad or our mom or our teacher or our spiritual leader or whoever is bigger than us telling us the way it is says, this is the way it is, you know, when we're that age, we don't look up and say, you know, mom, you know, dad, I appreciate that's how you look at the world. That seems to be working for you. Me, on the other hand, I choose not to have that assumption, and I choose to look at life a different way. What we do instead is we say, oh, oh, that's how it is. And we take it on as if it's so. And we turn that assumption of somebody that we trust giving us information into a belief. And that belief becomes a point of view. And dependent on that point of view, how the world occurs to us happens. And however the world occurs to us is how we relate to it. We act into the world that shows up for us. So that's our possibilities. Our possibilities only exist in terms of what shows up for us to interact with. So in one second, I can change my point of view. I can change my assumption. And it doesn't have to be a struggle. Okay, that's interesting. Thanks for bashing me on the head for saying it had to be a struggle. I thought it was a struggle, but... 
I see. Now, I'm just going to ask you this because I don't know the answer. I know that people can be leaders. That's what you've said. And that some people are acting as if they're not leaders. And you help lots of companies. You listed some pretty big global brands that you've been the consultant for. Are some companies leaders and others aren't? Or is it actually the people inside the companies that are the leaders? What is your position on that? Well, I am just starting this particular exploration of conversation myself. Because I do think that now that there are some companies that are leaders. And it's just a beginning kind of conversation for me so that, you know, I don't have an answer here for myself yet. I don't have a point of view, but I can tell you some of the thoughts I've had. First of all, you know, in the past, when I think of leadership, people have thought of control and prediction. You know, if I can predict what's going to happen, and most of that is based on the past, plan it out, and then it can, you know, work this way and control it and manage it and motivate people. So the world's moving too fast for any of that to work anymore. By the time you get done predicting and planning and you're ready to control it, the world has changed. And so whatever you are going to do isn't going to work anyway. You have to look at it a different way now. And in terms of motivation, I don't think motivation works that well. You're just trying to talk somebody into something that you see as so, and you're trying to make them believe the same way you believe. But I think inspiration is a different thing. Inspiration works from the inside out. It's not something you do to people. It's something that you do from inside yourself, and it resonates inside their selves. And I think that there are companies that can be inspirational in this world and in this time. And I think this is a very special time. I think that we have a responsibility and even an accountability, all of us individually and as organizations, to look out and see either the contribution we're making or the damage we're doing to the environment, to people's spirits, to connection, to bringing people together to finding solutions where everyone is winning, not just a small part of the people, to ending hunger, to saving the rainforest, to cleaning the air, to making sure children are safe. There's a bigger responsibility now, and it's a global world, and we're all discovering we're all connected. And I think the value and the power of corporations and organizations, especially global organizations, is that they have the instrument of fulfillment. They have an organized base of people going in the same direction. And if they focus that energy and talent towards something bigger that will work for all of us, then that's a pretty powerful thing. So I think that there is a tremendous responsibility for organizations and possibility. All right. Let's say there's a scale from zero to 10 where 10 means you're a real leader, you're a Steve Jobs or you're a Sir Richard Branson. And zero, as you say, you have the capacity to lead, but you're not actually implementing any of it. My listeners are somewhere on that scale from zero to 10. And I'm somewhere on that scale. Hopefully I'm near the top, but I don't know what number I'm at. Wherever I am and wherever my listeners are, what technique do you have or idea or exercise to move me up closer to 10? Great. So here's a couple of things that you can do in action today. Number one is the thing I say is called completion. Completion is where you take a moment in your life 
maybe it's an hour, maybe it's a half a day, maybe it's a half an hour, and you consider the things you're attached to from the past. So the things we get attached to are things like our upsets or our successes, our losses, our gains, our resentments, our regrets, things that hold us and we hold on to them to be right. So we hold on to our successes. You know, if you're holding on to a success, if, you know, four years from now, you're saying, oh, remember the game when we won and it wasn't it great? And you're going on and on and on. You've obviously got an attachment to that. Or the loss, you know, people get divorced, they end the marriage, but they don't complete it. So they're still talking about their spouse, you know, 30 years later and being upset with them. So you know that the marriage ended, but you can tell it hasn't been completed. They're still attached to being right, or they're attached to feeling good, or they're attached to being upset. There's something they're holding on to to either pay someone back or be right about something. Well, if you're incomplete, if you're holding on to attachments from the past, it takes up room in terms of your creativity. You cannot design a future for yourself when all of your energy is filled up with old creations. You need to let them go, whether they're positive or negative, whether they're wins or they're losses. You need to be able to be complete. So one of the things you can do is make a list and say, you know, here's some things I'm incomplete about. I notice I'm still holding on to the fact that I'm mad at my relative for doing that six years ago. I notice that I'm still talking about that game I won 20 years ago in college. I notice I'm, you know, still holding on to the award I got. Whatever it is you're holding on to, make a list. And then what you'll find is one of two things. You can cross it off the list by saying you're complete just by declaring you're complete. It's the power of declaration. You can say, I declare completion on this. I'm letting it go. And most things will be let go just by doing that. Then you'll notice the ones, even when you say, I declare it complete, I'm complete, I declare it, I declare it, I declare it complete, it's still hanging in there and you're still being right. So those you might say to yourself, well, I have to have a conversation with someone. It could even be a prayer, that's a conversation, or it could be a phone call that you make to a relative or, you know, and you just say to that person, you know, I noticed I'm not complete I would like to apologize, or I would like to tell you I forgive you, or I would like to ask you for your forgiveness, or I would like to thank you and acknowledge you for this, or I would like to be acknowledged by you. At least you start a conversation that's on its way to completion. Doesn't mean that it'll happen in that minute. So that's one exercise. Start completing things in your life, because what will happen is you'll open up space in which you can create new things. The second thing to do is to stand in the future. Stand in the future of what's possible if you weren't limited by what you think you're limited by. Imagine you don't have a limitation and make a dream for yourself, a possibility for the future, and then imagine yourself already having accomplished that. That's what I mean by standing in the future. And then look back to where you are right now. What you will see from that vantage point is the things that are missing that you need to put in place in order to produce where you are. If you don't stand in the future, if you stand here looking out towards what you want to become, 
or what you want to achieve as if it's over there in front of you, what you see are the obstacles and the problems. It's a different vantage point, so something different shows up for you. It's more powerful to see what's missing than to consider something's a problem. It just gives you more access to producing a powerful result. So those are two things that I would do if I were listeners. And then I think what would emerge is possibilities for leadership. I like those two exercises. And by the way, dear listener, she was grinning as she was saying it because there's a couple ways that she wants me to improve. And we were discussing that yesterday and she was subtly weaving it into this conversation. So it's not just you that's learning, it's me that's learning. She's a good teacher. She's a great teacher. Okay. I want to push you a bit. You've given us two great exercises to move us up the scale from zero to 10, but I bet you inside that head of yours, there's another one. You got another one? You know, one of the most simple and yet powerful exercises I know to give to people is for them to be in touch with what they're grateful for. When you're in the state of gratitude, you cannot, absolutely cannot feel inadequacy You cannot consider fear or doubt. It's a state that allows you to be in the state of creativity. So I give these instructions to people. Take 15 three-by-five cards with you every day. Every day for at least two weeks. And on each card, write three things throughout the day that you're grateful for. So you've got 15 cards to fill up with three things that you're grateful for. And read them when you're not writing, when you can, in between meetings or maybe while you're watching TV or at any time during the day after you've filled a few cards out, start reading them. And just by writing and then reading the things that you're grateful for, it'll keep you in a state of gratitude. And in a state of gratitude, it's like a magical way to give you a new point of view. The world will start occurring for you differently you'll start to see different things showing up for you. And at some point, your assumption will even change. So it's an exercise. Try it out. Do you know what I've noticed about gratitude? That that which I'm grateful for actually shows up more. It's as if there's a spiritual feedback mechanism. And so I've created some mantras, and one of them is, my way is paved. So whenever something fortuitously happens to me, I say out loud, my way is paved. And it seems to encourage more of those wonderful coincidences occurring. And when I have a dream and record it, and I really learn a lot from my dream, then the act of recording it and doing my best to interpret it encourages more dreams to come that I learn even more from. And so I I like that aspect of gratitude. Do you have a comment on that? Well, I love what you said, and I have a saying also that I say to myself that I think if they used your saying and my saying together, it would be perfect, and that is, it's all going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. That's good. Yeah, there's a lot of funny quotes. I love quotes. There's a quote that I'm tickled by right now, Woody Allen's quote. He said, I have enough money to last me for the rest of my life unless I buy something. (laughs) (laughs) Totally off topic thought I'd throw it in. Well, we've talked a lot about leadership. I'm sure you're going to agree with me on this. Uh, Maybe you're not going to, but I'll take my chance. Even though everyone can be a leader, some people have to be better leaders than others. That's my experience. 
I see some people doing a better job leading than others. Maybe the ones who aren't doing as good a job are six or seven on the scale and they just haven't got to 10 yet. But just like in athletics, there's some people with talent and no matter how hard I work at being a pole vaulter, I'll never be a great pole vaulter. So are there people who are just born leaders versus others who could be just good leaders? I'm trying to find something to agree with you on, oh, Raymond. Come on. <laughs> I just look at it a different way. It's not that I don't agree with you or I do agree with you. I don't even look at the world as agree or disagree or it's just not how I view it. It's not how it shows up for me. But here's how I do look at what you're talking about. Great leaders have had practice. And there's a thing that I teach everybody, whether they're an executive and I'm in a corporation or whether I'm doing a personal seminar on personal development, is to be willing to be comfortable being a beginner. Because if you're not a beginner, you can't learn any new skill. The only way that you can learn is by not knowing before you know, and then being a beginner, because not knowing means you're at the beginning. And there's a couple of traits of beginners. They don't know the answer. They're very clumsy. They do it wrong. They make mistakes. They don't look good. All of the things human beings don't want to be. Human beings want to be right, look good, and know the answer. And so what we do instead of really being a beginner is we pretend we know. And when we pretend, we can't practice what it is we don't know. And practice is the thing that makes all skills powerful. Just like a pianist who's a great pianist doesn't start by playing Chopin, they have to start by playing chopsticks. They're a beginner. So I would say great leaders have had lots of practice. And so if you want to be a great leader, be willing to be a beginner. Do it wrong, make mistakes, take risks, fall down, pick yourself back up, practice some more, and you'll be better than you were yesterday. And if you get to the point where you're a 10, well, hallelujah. And the other thing I would say is you can get to a 10 in a certain thing that maybe you don't get to a 10 in another thing. So leading a global corporation like Branson does, he's at a 10 in that domain. But planting a garden, I don't know if he's good at that. He hasn't you know, shared that with us. Maybe there's someone out there that's a 10 and he's only a three. So there's lots of ways to express leadership. Mm -hmm. Marcia, I noticed that the vocabulary that you use is different from normal people's vocabulary. You say things different ways. You use different words. Can you comment on that? Where did you learn it? And why do you use words so particularly? And how come your vocabulary or languaging is different from other people's? Well, I've always been taught and learned, and it's been one of the things I've studied my whole life in terms of language, that language is a structure of fulfillment and actually is the structure that allows how the world occurs for you. So, for example, if you go to the doctor's office, he looks at you and he sees a different body than you see when you look in the mirror. And he sees that because he has an understanding of a certain linguistic distinctions. He has studied in such a way that by knowing the meaning of that word or that concept, things show up for him differently than they show up for you in that domain. And I've studied really creating and producing results and bringing realities into existence and designing futures. And so I have a certain linguistic competence in the distinctions that allow possibilities to come into existence. 
And language is very important because if I listen to someone, I don't just listen to what they actually say. I listen to what's the assumption behind what they're saying that allows them to say what they say in the first place. If I can see or listen to a person's assumptions, I can predict their future. Because if they keep going with the same assumptions, they're going to automatically have the future of those assumptions. So language is quite important to me, and people speak themselves into their future. So when I listen, I try to open up possibilities for people to see what they are saying, and people are very unconscious about their speaking. And you do it very, very well. Marcia, I always ask my expert interviewee to give us three expert action steps so that my listeners can leap into their future using your three guideposts. So tell us what the three expert action steps are for you. First action step, as I said, is complete the past. Make a list of all the things you're incomplete about and see if you're willing to complete them. Second action step is to imagine your future as if you weren't limited. So create just in your imagination a future of your choice, not based on what you see as possible, not based on what you consider are your limitations. And stand, imagine yourself already having accomplished that, and then look back and make a list of the things that are missing, because what's missing is what you need to put in place. And then the third one, which we haven't talked about yet, I would say take this. Once you see what's missing, turn it into action. How you create is by making requests, offers, and promises. Requests, offers, and promises generate action. They generate a conversation in which action happens. Most people speak in assessments. So they'll say something, well, I think we should do this. That's not a request. That's a description of a person's internal experience. So start making requests. Make them to a particular person. Find someone to make them to, get that person to promise to perform, or start making offers and make them to a particular person and get that person to agree to hold the request of your offer. And then get conditions of satisfaction. Get clarification from both sides. What will need to be so? What conditions of satisfaction need to be in place to realize this request or offer? And that will create some action. So start making a plan for requests, offers, and promises. Because you didn't give an example of that in our interview, why don't you just do a quick example of that now? Raymond, I have a request for you. My request is that you would write a letter to someone very precious and special, maybe even one of your children in your life, and that you would tell her at least five things that you appreciate about her. And my request is that you would complete that letter by the end of the Transformational Leadership Council meeting. And my request is that you would actually send the letter to her with good thoughts as you mailed it off within a week of the meeting. Would you be willing to accept that request? All right. So that was your request. Now, when you said, are you willing, what is that? That's me getting you to promise because I can't have a powerful action cycle. I can't produce action just by making a request. I have to have an agreement from the side of the performer. Okay, so when I say yes, what is that? Is that my offer? No, that's your promise to deliver on my request. If I were making an offer, I might say something like this. Raymond, 
So I always have a person I'm making it to. Raymond, my offer is that I'd be willing to coach you and talk to you about the value and the benefit of being in relationship with your children instead of being right. Would you like to accept that? Would you like me to coach you on that? I see. So when you're asking me, you're getting confirmation that I agree to it. Yes, you're making a promise to accept my offer. Now, you said requests, offers, and what was the third one? Promise. So you can start with either a request or an offer, but you always have to have a promise. I got it. Okay. So thanks for your three expert action steps. And is there some way that they can learn from you? Is there a website you'd like them to go to? Would you like them to email you to get something or other? Yes, you can email me and my website is marshamartin.com. And I would love to hear from you or get requests from you and have you be available if you'd like to take coaching or have me speak in your organization or have you come to one of my seminars. And I've so enjoyed this interview. So just to clarify, your email address is Marsha Martin, M-A-R-C-I-A, Martin at me.com. And your website is MarshaMartin.com. And they can go there and they can see what you have and they can make a request of you and ask you to speak at their organization or coach them or whatever. You're wonderful. I'm, we've known each other for, maybe we shouldn't say, <laughs> we've known each other for a long time. And it's been an amazing ride. I've always loved my interactions with you. And I really am grateful that you have agreed to spend this hour with us to educate my listeners on your brand of leadership. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. And thank you so much for doing this for me. Thank you, Raymond. I love and adore you. (laughs) Okay. She is walking out the door now. Bye-bye, Marsha. And now that we're alone, what I'm going to be doing is reviewing what I learned so that you heard it directly from her, but also in summary and in some kind of digested way from me. What I loved is she said that the future is not based on the past. You can think it is, but you can also change it anytime you want. Leadership is not your title, your department, or the fact that you're on a board or not on a board. Leadership is your ability to create action. It is being the cause in the matter. It is power of intention. It is a competency, and therefore everybody is or can be a leader. So I want you to think of what leadership is. Leadership is how the world shows up for you. If you don't like the way the world is showing up, then you're not creating it the way you want it. You're just allowing it to be. And when you are a leader, you actually start creating the world the way you want. How do you view the world? How do you see it? Do you see obstacles or do you see freedoms? Do you see positives or do you see negatives? Do you see accomplishments or do you see failures? Some people see one, some people see the other. And she gave a great example of those pictures. When you look at it one way, you see an old witch. You look at another way, you see a gorgeous woman. And you can't see them both at the same time. It's really interesting. So what is showing up for you? Are you getting less than what you want? Are you frustrated? Are you whining? Or on the other hand, are you overjoyed? Because you're creating both of those. And if you truly grasp Marsha's brand of leadership, you'll realize that since you are creating either of those, you can, as a leader, switch and change your beliefs to create exactly what you want. And she also said something totally fascinating. I'd never thought of this before. When someone says, hi, Raymond, who are you? I could give my history. I could give my biology. I could give my philosophy. But I also could give my commitment, 
What am I committed to? What is it that I do in the world? What a wonderful way to think of who I am. And what she inspired you and me to do is to choose a bigger commitment. Many people are committed to paying their mortgage and coming home on time and living up to their promises. But a leader is someone who chooses bigger and bigger commitments. Or maybe I should say a better and better leader is someone who chooses bigger and bigger commitments. Oh my gosh, I'm glad Marsha's left because maybe she wouldn't agree with that. And what I like that she said is from commitment, you create your circumstances. What most people do or people who don't realize they're leaders, they let their circumstances determine their commitment. And I pushed her again and said, you know, is everyone a leader? Because I don't experience it. And she says there's three domains. There's the domain of being, doing, and having. And commitment lives in the being domain. And when you create commitment in the being domain, the doing and the having just fall into place for you. The future is completely possibility. There is no future determined from the past. Future is complete possibility. And the possibility exists right now. And therefore, the future is a possibility right now, and you can create your future right now. And you actually do create it with everything you say. Do you say things like, I'll get that done, count on me? Or do you say, I don't think that's possible, or we don't have enough money to afford that? Just think of the languaging you use, because that actually is creating your future. When I asked her, why bother being a leader? She first corrected me and said, it doesn't actually have to be a lot of work to become a leader. But when you are actually exhibiting yourself as a leader, there's growth. You get to be bigger than you are. You see possibilities. You grasp it. You can inspire others. And then I asked her if companies are leaders. And she said that she's just thinking about that conversation herself. And she thinks that it's so, but we're going to have to come back and have another interview later in order to find out what her final view on that is. I asked her if there's a scale of zero to 10, not on whether or not people are leaders, because she says that everyone is, but rather whether they're exhibiting their leadership, whether they're getting that they're a leader, whether they're doing the leadership things that they are capable of doing. And she says that there is a scale. So thankfully, she agreed with me on one thing. And I said, how do you move up that scale? And she gave us three really powerful ways to do it. And you know what, dear listener, these three ways, this is the essence of the entire interview for me. This is what I'm going to be taking away. The three ways to move up are one, completion, two, stand in the future of what's possible, and three, gratitude. So let's discuss those because this is the biggest part of it for me. What she said is, by way of doing completion, is think of what your attachments are. That is, think of what you still feel bad about or still feel good about, things that you don't want to lose, that you know, you're know you so dedicated to holding on to, things that you always talk about, even though you're boring people to death because you don't want to give up on it. Anything that's positive or negative that you're holding on to is an attachment. And any incompletion like that takes up room. And you might be able to eliminate that incompletion and that attachment simply by declaring that it's complete. But there's some nasty incompletions that don't go away just because you say so. And for them, you have to actually do a little more work. You might have to have a conversation with that person if they're still alive. You might have to have a prayer if they're not alive. Maybe a phone call, maybe an apology, maybe a letter, as she asked me to do. 
And the second one is stand in the future of what's possible. If you stand in the present and you try to think of how your future can be different, then what you'll see between where you are now and where you could be in the future is obstacles. So she has an interesting languaging that says stand in the future, like be in that future already where it's already occurring and see what's possible. And when you see what's possible, that is so inspiring, that is so exciting, that that will move you up the ladder from zero to 10. And finally, gratitude. And I think gratitude's a good answer for anything. That's, in fact, one of the lessons I take away from this is when I'm being interviewed and anyone asks me anything, if I'm stuck for an answer, I'll just say gratitude. Gratitude will probably work for anything. When you list what you're grateful for, you are a leader, you see possibilities, you see the future, you have to be positive. You can't be negative if you live in gratitude. And I love gratitude, I honor it. A dear friend of mine, Lee Brower, was the gratitude rock guy in the movie, The Secret. So I'm glad that we ended with that powerful note because that is the lasting impression that I get. Thanks for listening to Talk This Way. If you enjoyed the episode, follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for access to training, courses, and other ways to learn from Marsha, visit MarshaMartin.com. That's M-A-R-C-I-A.